right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Colsey DeButar here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, is going to join us in about 35 minutes. Uh, pre-game starts at 5 o'clock. We're out early, and first, or I almost said first kick, like there's multiple. Well, I guess there are, but kickoff is scheduled for 6.30, which you can hear right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 Kiss. You might be wondering, well, wait, it's a Friday night. There's high school football. If KU is on KLWN, where's Lawrence High? Where's Free State? Well, Lawrence High is going to be on bowl929.com, and there will be a video feed paired with the audio with A10 Varsity. You can find that link at... Bowl929.com. Free State will be on 92.9 FM, so specifically the radio side. And you can find that link as well at Bowl929.com or on KLWN.com. You can find the links to both A10 varsity feeds. So KU takes on Coastal Carolina tonight. First reaction, Cole, are they covering the spread? What's the spread right now? I believe last I saw it was down to 25 and a half. Yes. Putting money on yes. 100 bucks on yes right now. <laughs> Cover that spread. I, I agree with you. And, you know, the big reason why I look at the game last year, and I can't get this out of my head. I, I mentioned this with Jesse. I mentioned it with Scott yesterday. They lost 38-23 to last season. And it, it felt like a game that Coastal kind of dominated, but it was still a 15-point game. They dominated the first half. It was 28-3 to at halftime. So, basically, they covered the spread of what it is now in the first half. But... <laughs> KU came from behind, and after getting down 28-3 to at the break, they started to figure things out. Maybe it was as simple as Coastal Carolina backing off and, and allowing KU to do more offensively, but it wasn't just 38-23 to at the end. It was 35-23 to with four minutes in the fourth quarter. KU recovered a onside kick, the little, like, I guess you call it a fake onside kick where he just dribbles it up the middle, and he, he jumped on it, but then they reviewed it, and they thought that it slid off, like, the leg of the kicker a few yards before it crossed. I thought it was a bad call on first watch. I thought it was a bad call in reviewing it as well. And at that point, it would have been a 12-point deficit for KU with the ball near midfield with about four minutes to go. Not saying they would have won the game, but again, you were kind of in that game. Yeah, that's. Uh, I guess I actually forgot about that onside kick completely. Um, There's definitely an element of that game that was Coastal Carolina taking their foot off the gas. Um, so I'm not going to come out here and say, actually, this is a blowout win for Lance Leipold's squad. But what I am saying is that it's not going to be, unless they feel like they got to go 100, Coastal Carolina, I mean, if they feel like they're going to go 110% the whole game, then yeah, maybe we maybe we lose by 25 or 30. But that's not a realistic thing for someone, for a team to do in week two against uh, KU. Yeah, and I mean, this is something that, certain guys have brought up on this show like you know it's not that KU is going to be lacking for 
a talent difference in this game. This isn't like Alabama playing KU where it's not just that Alabama maybe has, you know, a better system or they have more established because the coaches have been there longer. It's also that they have, you know, a lot better athletes and bigger players. But with Coastal Carolina, yes, there are certain areas where, okay, like the Coastal Carolina defense, that matches up even athletically, not just from a production standpoint, but with the KU offense, maybe even favorably for Coastal Carolina. But, you know, even if the production has been better from the Coastal Carolina offensive line or the receivers than the KU DBs or the defensive line or, or whatever position matchup you want to look at, maybe there's been more production. There's not necessarily more talent mm-hmm. in that level. And KU has recruited at a Power 5 level, which, you know, for Coastal Carolina, it, it's not like they're over-recruiting them. And I get it, like, recruiting isn't isn't the be-all, end-all, so I don't want to make that the whole thing. But KU was the, the better team in the second half last year when they played Coastal Carolina. They outscored them 20-10. to 10. Like I said, it was 35-23 when that onside kick happened. And Coastal Carolina, the biggest thing they dominated in, it was at the line of scrimmage. 12 to 2 in tackles for loss, 5 to 0 in sacks. That is both a big tip of the cap to the Coastal Carolina offensive and defensive line, but also a big mess to what the KU defensive line and KU offensive line was a season ago. But I I still just, you know, KU wasn't leaps and bounds worse. And that that's the biggest thing here. In that game overall, they were the worst team, but they weren't leaps and bounds worse and it was actually, like, if you just look at the schedule, you look at how well they played in all the games, that was one of their more competitive games of the season, despite being minus three in turnovers, despite being outplayed on key downs, like third down, despite missing a field goal. KU even out-yarded Coastal Carolina. They were in the game, and I kind of expect tonight to be a competitive game. Now, what that means is kind of vague, but that's what I'm expecting. Let's take last week into account here. Does the struggles of the offensive line last week worry you um, when you brought up that stat, that 12-2 to two tackles for loss stat from last season? I don't know what Coastal Carolina's returning player situation is. 19 of 22 returning starts. That's not fair. <laughs> um, but do, do the offensive line struggles from last week worry you in that regard? Yeah, so, I mean, specifically with the Coastal Carolina defensive line going up against that offensive line, that is where they lose one of the starters. And that's important to know because the starter they lost on that defensive line was, I believe, the Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year who's playing in the NFL now. So that is a key loss, but they bring, like, everybody else back there. So I don't I don't know where to totally go with that. But that that's kind of where I view how this goes for KU. Um, there's two big things in my eyes that, I don't know, maybe change things in a positive light from where KU was last year to KU is this year. Um, and again, if we're starting at the base point, the last year was already kind of a competitive game. And we go to this point and saying that, yeah, and on top of that, KU is better in these two regards. That could be one of them. The first thing will be the line play. As you mentioned, can you tighten what was a 10 tackle for loss advantage for Coastal Carolina and a five sack advantage? I'm not necessarily saying KU all of a sudden has to flip that to where KU's the team on top there, but instead of being out tackle for loss 12 to two, you know, be out tackle for loss seven to five. Instead of being out sacked five to zero, be out sacked three to two, right? And that that is a big gap closing thing from what happened last year. And Coastal Carolina on the defense side of the ball mentioned what they bring back and, and what they lose. But on the offense side of the ball, they bring back their offensive line. And it was strong a season ago, but 
KU's defensive line, I think, is better this year than it was last year. Kyron Johnson, I think, is a better defensive lineman than you had last year. And it's deeper. It's a lot deeper this year than it was last year. So I think they're going to be able to cause more disruption this year than last year. And, and I mean, there's two parts of that. When you get give up a 10-tackle for loss advantage, a 5-sack disadvantage, it's not just that we were giving all that up offensively. It's that we only had two as a defense. We had no sacks as a defense. I think you see more production from the defense to close that gap on that end of the thing. And Coastal didn't have great grades in blocking in week one on pro football focus. Um, But again, you return most of your unit overall. Uh, This is kind of interesting. Talking about the depth of that defensive line, Lance Leipold talked about this this week, that, that they have so much depth on the defensive end spots. But the key is, can you get them into those third downs that maybe puts them as this kind of spread option offense into passing downs where you can utilize that. But uh, you're right. The offensive line is the biggest question for KU. I mean, they've been outclassed by Coastal Carolina really the last two matchups. You go back to the one before that as well. KU's offensive line, it's been talked about that they should be better on paper, but we didn't see it in the South Dakota game. And how much of that was just that they're not better? How much of that was just week one early season struggles where you just say, hey, they're learning a new system. The coaching staff just took over so late. It's going to take some time. Now, if that is the answer, is one extra week enough time to fix all that? So I, I don't know what to expect there, but to me, that is the biggest difference. If the KU offensive line plays well, maybe KU can pull an upset, but at the very least, I think they make it competitive. If the KU offensive line does not play well and it's similar to last year, then again, I still would probably take KU with the points, but it's probably closer to being that 21 to 28 point range than it would be 7 to 14. Yeah, and I'm pretty hopeful. I thought one of the most impressive things that stood out to me last week uh, against South Dakota was KU's defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it looked really, really fantastic. Maybe it didn't show up in a box score sense all the time, but that's not the end-all, be-all of defensive line play. Just like the guy who gets the most sacks in the NFL is not always the best defensive end in the NFL, Uh your box score doesn't always uh, translate to how good your defensive line is. So I would hope that we can close those sack gaps, those tackle for loss gaps, uh, make um, Coastal Carolina's quarterback and running backs feel uncomfortable, uh, get good wins uh, one-on-one with their offensive linemen. I think we can uh, definitely close those huge defensive differentials we were dealing with last matchup. Yeah, and uh, that's so that's that's the first thing that I think could be better for KU this year than in last year's matchup. And again, we're starting at the point that they were competitive last year. The second thing, the coaching edge on this KU team compared to last year's KU team. Uh, if we're looking at situational plays, I don't know how much of this goes to coaching. Maybe it's quarterback play, but even then, I think the quarterback play is better this year than last year for KU. KU was 4 for 11 on third down last year. Coastal went 8 of 14. Um I don't know, the 8 of 14 seems repeatable for Coastal Carolina. So does 4 of 11 on third down for KU. But I think KU has better quarterback play. I think KU has better coaching. I would think you have a chance to be better than that on third down. So a chance to improve there. KU lost a fumble. KU threw two interceptions. They gained no turnovers the other way. And that even includes Coastal Carolina fumble the football, but KU didn't recover it. So you were minus three in turnovers in the game. And We've seen a lot of minus three turnover games for KU, so I don't want to say, like, that's not possible either. But on average, you don't have a minus three turnover game. So I don't want to say it's fluky because usually bad teams turn the ball over more, but especially if you're getting so much disruption from the defensive line like Coastal Carolina had, it's going to lead to more strip sacks or forced interceptions. 
But you know how many times Lance Leipold had a team with a minus three turnover differential or more in his last four seasons at Buffalo? It was once, right? I think I saw the statistic. Correct. So from 2017 to 2020, last four seasons of Lance Leipold's time at Buffalo, they had a minus four turnover differential at Miami of Ohio in 2019. It didn't happen ever again where they were minus three or worse. Not saying KU's going to win the turnover battle. Not saying that KU will even be even. But I'm not expecting minus three. Yeah, those micro improvements are where you can, you know, mm-hmm. again, we're not talking about KU uh, winning or blowing them out per se. We're talking about KU making a good showing, showing that Lance Leipold can compete against a, a legit good team in uh, Coastal Carolina. So these micro improvements on defense, fixing these like wide differentials, the turnover differentials, the tackle for loss, the sacks, everything like that means that you don't get embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point in uh, Lance Leipold's KU tenor, uh, tenure, not getting embarrassed is important for this program. It's been years and years of getting embarrassed, and, and we're sick of it as fans is what we are. So I'm okay with losing by... 10 losing by even 14 probably yeah but i don't want to get blown out by 30 and these micro improvements stop us from getting blown out by 30 so that in two years we can win again yeah yeah and and that's the way you view this game i don't know that ku is going to win obviously they're they're huge underdogs in this game but can you be competitive can you make it a game that you're still watching in the fourth quarter going you know they still might have a shot here even if you don't think they're going to win and the other thing that I, I view from the coaching perspective is special teams. I, I like to attribute that to good coaching in the special teams. Um, KU struggled on special teams in that game a season ago. They had one punt for just 30 yards. They missed a field goal. When you add all that up, the coaching stuff, and just the basic level of understanding game management from this staff over last year's staff, and I don't mean that to say like every coach is you know way better than just from, you know, I think Lance Leipold over Les Miles is a pretty big upgrade for you from that standpoint, it helps. And I wouldn't ignore this either. This was Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator, speaking with the media the other day, talking about how they actually kind of got a little bit fortunate. And for a staff that has been so far behind timing-wise and starting so late and getting to instill things so much later than you normally would as a program, this might be the one thing that's not that because Coastal Carolina – was on Buffalo's schedule as well. So this is a team that they've had a little extra look at than they would have if they just came over to KU. Um, I think they play Buffalo the week after our uh, week after us, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, we had actually done a scout report on them in Buffalo. We had actually worked on some of their, particularly their option game in spring practice while we were at Buffalo. Uh, you just can't get away from Coastal Carolina, doggone it. But um, uh, you know, so so we had a we had a pretty good head start plan particularly for some of the option game and uh we're doing the same thing now so that that part of it was uh fortunate and easy and not easy but uh, fortunate i guess and we actually took a part of a practice during fall camp this fall and and we worked on some coastal option game as well just if you don't i just feel like you're you're in in two or three days trying to get ready for all of that and the way that it comes at you and the different ways that it that presents itself, um, you know, you're not going to be ready. And and so we've, we've really tried to narrow down um, what we're going to do versus that. 
and hopefully be really good at a few things rather than trying to defend all of that offense and all of that option offense out of every possible call. It's, it just, it doesn't work very well. So, um, so it, it was, uh, it's kind of a mixed blessing. I'm, I'm glad that we got some, some work on it before. Glad we kind of came in with some idea about what we, what our plan would be. Um, but uh, that doesn't make it any easier because they're, they're still really good. All right. So that was Brian Borland. And I think that's really good to bring up. Don't know if it'll be much different, but what Cole was saying, it's the little micro differences. If you're minus one in turnovers instead of minus three, if your special team is just a little bit better, if your line play can be a little bit better on both ends, if you're a little better on third downs, if you know you have a little under better understanding of what Coastal Carolina is. I know that's a lot of ifs, but you're just asking for gradual improvement in each of those. And so if the line looks better, I actually do, based on the fact that KU was competitive last year, and they have that better coaching staff this year, I do believe KU can hang with a team who's listed in the top 20 and can hang with them on the road. I'm not saying they're going to win the game. I do think they're going to cover, and I wouldn't be surprised if KU's down 10, 14 points in the fourth quarter at some point of this game. He's Cole C. DeButar. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Brandon McAnderson joins us in about 20 minutes. Coming up next, our game picks for the weekend. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes. Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane. Unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. And most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot-free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Brandon McAnderson hops on with us in 15 minutes with Cole Butar. I'm Derek Johnson on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Pretty good game or a slate of games this weekend. There's not as many ranked matchups as there were last week with five. But uh, still, two top 12 matchups this week in college football, and then we get the start of the NFL season. So last week was a good week for me. Cole wasn't here, um, but for the game picks, ended up 4-1 and one in college football in week one. BMAC was 2-3, and three, so I got a nice little two-game head start on him. Cole now has a chance to kick it off with a good winning percentage, though. So we'll start off with college football. First up, number 12, Oregon, at number 3, Ohio State. The Buckeyes are giving up 14.5. Who do you like? Yeah, I like I like Ohio State. I I I don't bet against Ohio State very often. That line makes me a little more cautious about it, but I think that they could definitely win by 18 or so and so yeah, I'm liking Ohio State. 
Ohio State's receivers are insane. Now, I am a little worried that it's a young freshman quarterback, but they're playing at home. If it was at Oregon, maybe it's a little bit different. And the big swing to me is Kayvon Thibodeau, who is maybe the best defensive player in the country. The defensive lineman for Oregon is supposed to be a top five pick. He got injured last week against Fresno State. He's questionable for this game. Kind of sounds like he's not going to play. Which, he was in a boot on the sideline. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure, sure about questionable. I don't think they can win this game or even cover without him. If they do have him, it becomes more interesting. But still, Ohio State's receivers, they're insane. Everything about Ohio State, just insane every year. So I'll take the Buckeyes as well. Number five, Texas A&M. Minus 17 at Colorado in a battle of teams who bailed from the Big 12. I like Colorado a lot. Um, what's the line again? Sorry. 17 for the Buffs. 17. Uh, no, I think I got to go Aggies there. I'm going to go with Colorado getting the 17 points. I think that, you know, playing on the road, I mentioned this with C.J. Stroud for Ohio State. Texas A&M is starting a first-year quarterback who is going to be playing his first road game in Haynes King. He wasn't all that impressive in week one for Texas A&M against Kent State. And they kind of took a while to pull away from that. Now, Texas A&M still has a really good defense. Colorado's a little bit shaky at the quarterback position this year, so that does scare me a little bit. But uh, I think Jerry Rice's son, nephew, somebody who's related to Jerry Rice is on Colorado. (laughs) That makes them way better than any other team that doesn't have a Jerry Rice relative on it. I mean, it's better to have one than not to have one. That's what I always say. Uh, So I'll take Colorado with the 17. Number 10, Iowa. At number 9, Iowa State, Cyhawk game. And the Cyclones are favored by 4.5. Uh, yeah, no, 100%. Cyclo- Cyclones at that, 100%. Yeah, I'll take that. So I'm going to go with Iowa here. Um, Iowa looked really, really good in week one. They blew out Indiana, who was a top 20 opponent. Iowa, a season ago, lost their first two games, won their last six. You're going to hear it so much on College Game Day or on any pregame show or if you're watching the broadcast tomorrow. The fact that Iowa started slow and then they blew everybody out at the end of the season. And that's true. That carried over to the start of the season. Iowa State struggled week one against Northern Iowa, but that's not totally different from what we've seen in the past. They've struggled in week one before. The question is, can they pick it up early? Because typically they don't hit their stride till October. So I'm going to go with Iowa. This is a game that's usually close. Even if Iowa State wins, I have a hard time believing it's going to be by more than four and a half points. I'll take Iowa. I just realized, sorry, is this in Ames? Yes. Oh, then yeah, Iowa State. I don't, okay. know, I don't know what you're doing, man. Come on. Iowa, four and a half. In fact, lock of the week, Iowa. Plus four and a half. Oh, my God. Confident in that one. Number 15, Texas. Giving up seven points. Taking on SEC opponent, Arkansas, on the road. Let's take Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. I'm, feel, I'm feeling Arkansas, man. Pig I'm suey? Feel, here's the thing. I'm feeling saying, Arkansas right? to, like, win. Like, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I mean, Arkansas to win. Nothing would be more Texas than... Hey, we got all this hype. We got a new coach, Bajon Robinson. Texas is back, baby. And then they beat, yeah, they beat a top 25 Louisiana team handedly in the first game. Like, oh, yeah, they do look good now. And then it's just they they lose on the road to Arkansas. I, I do agree with you. I could see Arkansas winning this game. At the very least, I'm taking Arkansas with the points in this SEC showdown. They are going to let Texas hear it about joining the SEC. I already know. <laughs> I forget. Is it, is it Pig Suey or Woo Pig? Maybe it's it, both. They, they got the, is that like their the the, the Razorbacks yeah. call or whatever? Yeah, oh, that's very cringy. <laughs> All right, last one. This is the holy war, at least for college football. Number twenty one, Utah minus seven at BYU. Future Big Twelve BYU. Who minus seven? Yep, BYU's getting seven. That's a really that's a real tough one. I'm gonna go with the Utes. Mm. Utah's really good. I mean, had guests on. 
Think that Utah could be the kind of dark horse to make the playoff, win the Pac-12? Ooh, I don't know about that, but all right. But I, I do like Utah a lot. I think they're going to win this game. I just have a hard time. Seven points is a lot Seven in a rivalry a game. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's called the Holy War. And these games are crazy. There was a game from a couple of years ago. May what have a been name for that rivalry, right? Man. I mean, but it, it may have been the craziest college football game I've ever seen, and I can't remember what year it was. It may, I don't know, somewhere in between like 2015 to 2020. That's a big span. Um, no, it wasn't last year, so between 2019. And somebody like kicked the game-winning field goal, missed it. Then somebody was like offside, so they had to redo it. They kicked it again. It got like blocked. The fans stormed the field too early. There was still like a second on the clock, so. It allowed them to like re-kick it or something like that, so and then they crazy. kicked it a third time. It, it's a wild rivalry, and I still think BYU is good. I mean, you probably would have expected them to beat Arizona by more last week. They didn't cover the spread. I just think this will be a close game, even though I like Utah overall. So I'll take BYU at the seven. All right, on to the NFL. Steelers at Bills. Bills are favored by six and a half. Yeah, I'll take the Bills on that. That's that's mm. that's nice. I'm gonna go with the Steelers. I mean, really. I'm, I'm worried about the offense. Yes, that is very important. Ben Roethlisberger aging did not look good, especially at the end of last season. Offensive line for the Steelers was atrocious a season ago. Najee Harris introduces something in the running game. Offensive line gets a little better. I mean, Pouncey retired. Did it actually get better? No, I'm just I'm I'm hoping. I'm, I'm oh, saying okay. I, you, know, this is a, you hope they get better. This is a uh, theoretical. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the, we, the thing we do know about the Steelers, they're going to have like a top five defense in the NFL yeah, this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I think keeps them in it. And I feel like everybody's just fading the Steelers because of how bad they finished last year. They were still a playoff team, right? Like they still. But if you say out loud, Bills by a touchdown, that doesn't sound ridiculous no. to you. And Bills by a touchdown fills this. It doesn't. But I see some of these other lines. I see. Three points for this team, three points for that team. This is six and a half for two teams that I think are playoff teams. You think the Steelers are still a playoff I team? I do. Oh. There's a wild card team. So I'm going to go with the Steelers. I'm still a believer in that defense. I'll take Pittsburgh plus six and a half. Cardinals at Titans. These are two possible playoff teams. Titans are giving up three points. Hmm. That's difficult. Especially because I just have no idea what to expect from the Cardinals this year. I mean, they picked up J.J. Started Watt. so hot last year, too. Um, ended poorly. Yeah, that that's a really weird team with their additions. You're still sort of wondering how Chandler Jones is going to like play. I think I'm going to go Cardinals, um, but this is probably this is my farthest from a lock I've had the entire segment. I think I would agree with you. This is the one I'm probably least confident in so far, but I'm going to go Cardinals as well. I just, I just don't know who really to pick, to be honest. So I'm going to bank on the fact that Cliff Kingsbury, historically, whether when he was at Texas Tech or so far at Arizona, they've started the season well. And then they just have tanked off at the end of seasons. It's been the end of the year that has hurt him, including last year. So this is an early season game. I guess I'll go with the Cardinals from that standpoint. Seahawks are minus three. They're playing at the Colts. Yeah, I'll take Seahawks on that, 100%. Uh, Russell Wilson starts re- the season's really strong. He falls off towards the end, but that's okay. You know, this is an early season game. Um, the Colts' defense is really, really good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take anything away from the Colts' defense, but how are they gonna score points, man? It, it, well, Jonathan Taylor is he gonna score all their, their, yeah, all their points? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't. I can't imagine that that offense is really going to put up a good showing. Uh, Seattle's defense is tolerable, 
uh, you know, Bobby Wagner's still good. Um, lots of very above average players on that defense. So I'm confident in Seattle here. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Seattle found a little bit of something defensively at the end of last year, but also they played really bad opponents. So I don't know what to take from that, but I just agree. I, I think, I mean, it's, it's really all you need to watch in this game is when Seattle's on offense because you have that great Colts defense versus the really good Seattle offense on in a dome situation where DK Metcalf can just fly down the field. But I like Seattle minus the three points. I just I do not trust Carson Wentz one iota. Uh, Browns at Chiefs. Chiefs are giving up five and a half. It feels so weird to say Browns, but I I, I feel I'm feeling Browns. Uh, I think that Nick Chubb is the best back in the NFL. I think Very he's good. better than than Derrick Henry in a lot of ways. Obviously, Derrick Henry's got some intangibles that Nick Chubb doesn't have. But if you were going to put a gun to my head and say, who's the best back in the NFL, I'm saying Nick Chubb. Uh, and then you have that great one-two punch with him and Kareem Hunt. Uh, Baker Mayfield is just getting better, more comfortable in the pocket. Uh, their offensive line is fantastic. That, that, that's a crazy offensive line. I don't know how much money they're going to be able to spend it on it in the next couple years, but for right now, this season, that's a great offensive line. They stole half of the Rams' defense in the offseason. <laughs> uh, it's a good team. It's not the laughing stock of the NFL. It's not even the ooh big surprise. The Browns are actually okay, like they were last year. This is a this is a good team who spent a lot of money in this offseason trying to be better. I kept wanting to like fade the Browns this year over like okay, they had a good season last year. They had kind of an easy schedule. Like they're going to revert back to the mean. It's it's the Browns. But I kept looking at the roster and going, "Oh my gosh, they've Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb at running back." Like, "Oh, Odell Beckham's coming back a receiver and you know, he's not what he once was, but he's still you know, if you have him at receiver, you're happy about it. Jarvis Landry, good receiver. You have a good offensive line. Like Baker Mayfield shows some flashes. And then the defense, like you mentioned, you, you spent a lot of money. Your biggest weakness was safety. You went out and bring in a big safety free agency from the Rams. Defensive line is good with uh, who knows what Jadavian Clowney gives you because the stats haven't always been there for him, but it seems like he has an impact. Miles Garrett is one of the favorites. He's second behind Aaron Donald to win defensive player of the year. Any ounce of attention you you're letting them not pay attention to Miles Garrett is like so good. So Jay yeah. Clowney just having the reputation for being a guy who can get quarterback pressures means that Miles Garrett's going to be in a better position to get more sacks. And that is a scary proposition. So I don't know what to think about the Chiefs offensive line because I think once it lives up to its potential, it's going to be fantastic. And in the preseason, it was phenomenal. But sometimes it takes a while for offensive lines to mesh. And if that happens in week one against that defensive line, that's not good news. I still would go with the Chiefs to win just because, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is 10-0 and in September. 32 touchdowns, no interceptions in the month of September. That's pretty good, some would say. Um, but I'll go with the Browns to cover. I think it's a closer game. It was in the playoffs, so give me the Browns plus 5.5. Last one, Monday Night Football, Baltimore Ravens, minus 4 points, playing on the road against the Las Vegas Raiders. Here's my lock. This is my this is my lock. Your lock. Wow. What was it? Which one was I your took, lock? I uh, took Iowa. Iowa okay, plus yeah, four. Yeah. This four is my lock. Uh, the Ravens are going to like wipe the floor with wow. the Ravens. I'm I'm talking 14 points at least. It's going to be an embarrassment. You should never put the Raiders on Monday Night Football <laughs> unless you want to go to sleep early. Okay. It's going to be a terrible game. I'm probably not going to watch it. Well. 
Raiders won last year, opening night against <laughs> the Saints. I do not care. You're going to upset our next guest. Brandon McAnderson, noted Raiders fan, joins us. I'm going to actually go with the Raiders, plus the four points. Ravens are beat up, man. Marcus Peters out. They're on what? They have like a running back at running quarterback. Back at Who this needs point. a running back? They have I, a running back I saw somebody somebody in uh, like a group chat with friends pointed this out, and I thought it was actually like, it was a joke, but it's one of those jokes that you're like, but they should actually do that. Sign Cam Newton to play running back. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little tall, or, I or think. Or Lamar plays running back, Cam plays quarterback. They alternate between running back and quarterback. Who says no? You know? All right. That's Cole C. Butar. I'm Derek Johnson. That was our game picks for the weekend. Hopefully, we make you some money. BMAC joins us next. He'll give us his game picks after we talk a little KU football with him on the other side. This is RCST. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined now customarily by Brandon McAnderson on a Friday. Former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. BMAC, you're on the road in Myrtle Beach this week. Did you get to go out on the road at all last year due to COVID, or is this the first time out there? Yeah, so we did a little bit, but, um, you know, there was tons of restrictions. You know, so we would basically find a place to, to, you know, have dinner or something like that. So, you know. It's nothing quite like this to where it's a full blown out, you know, celebration of the program and a chance to, you know, reconnect with people, alumni. And it's just a good thing for our fan base and a good thing for our football team. All right. So last week, KU beat South Dakota 17 to 14. The running game wasn't a strength for KU in that game. 41 carries, 82 yards as a unit. So what went wrong for the running game last week, and how fixable are some of those mistakes to this week? So I think it's all fixable, and I also think that it's a it's more of a continuity issue than anything else. And I think when we, when we think about these things, we don't give enough uh, – thought to how little preparation time they've had. Now you would say, oh, they had the same amount of preparation as everyone else, except they didn't know these players in this way because there is no on-field activity in the summer. Um, so this that fall was basically them trying to cram in evaluation and preparation. I think you kind of saw the remnants of that, not knowing where guys, you know, you get a guy like Colin Grunhard from Notre Dame, he's been a center his whole life, you're thinking, oh, he's going to play center. But he's actually one of your top five linemen, so you put him at guard. So those are kind of things that they did not know till maybe what two weeks ago, a week ago. So you're taking all the all the newness and unfamiliarity, and then you're throwing it into a running game that requires continuity. Everybody's you know speaks a lot about outside zone, but outside zone, inside zone is a big continuity play. Just because your two guys on your line are working to two guys on the defense, and the running back has to make that easy for them, help them to make them to make those blocks. And I think last week what we saw was that the backs weren't helping. Uh, weren't helping the linemen uh, achieve what they needed to, to do and vice versa. So I think it was more of a continuity error. You know, watching that film, I don't think that our O-line played bad at all. I mean, I know they definitely want to play better. I know their coaching staff wants them to play better. But pass pro, they were good. You know, and I think that it's unfortunate because our fan base is very like, oh, our O-line's terrible again. Well, no one was getting beaten one-on-one pass rush. Bostic was good. Cable Dew was good. Our interior guys gave up a couple twists, stunts, you know, some stunting stuff. But individual matchups, guys competed at a high level. So I'm excited about that unit still. Yeah, I, I just wonder, and I agree with you. I mean, if you look at even pro football focus, like it agrees with you. The, the pass blocking was good for KU in game one. I just wonder with 
the the rushing attack, whether, you know, I, I don't know where the blame goes, so to speak, and I don't really want to play a blame game anyway, but, you know, some goes to the running back, some goes to the offensive lineman. I, I think it's kind of a, a circular thing there. Uh, but I just wonder, you know, I, I think like you said, it's fixable. I just wonder if it's fixable as soon as this week or what you said with it being about continuity, I wonder if that's more of a long-term thing that we might not see come to fruition till the middle of the season or the end of the season or who knows, maybe not till next year. Right. I think that's something that I think it'll obviously get better as we go, as they get more familiar right. with each other. You know, but health is a po- an important part of that. Guys staying healthy and staying in the mix. Um, getting some more running backs, you know, getting a Patrick Hickson back in some capacity, even if he's not full strength. That'll help because I've been very complimentary of him. I think he's their best offensive weapon, Um, just a physical, fast, talented person. I think he's the kind of guy you can throw back in the mix. Obviously, there was some mix-up with Devin Neal and his playing time that they've talked about openly in the press conference. So I think he's a good guy that factor in more. So I think that the the players, the talent's there, the effort's there, the coaching's there, and now you get to see why these guys have been so successful. You get to see game-to-game how much they're able to help their groups improve. So I think it's it's something I'm looking forward to, to see what kind of strides they make. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see what the running back rotation looks like this game. I know they mentioned trying to get guys into a rhythm, so that'll obviously impact it. But I would imagine Devin Neal's going to play more. We'll see what the status of Amori Pesek-Hickson is going to be. And then you had Tory Lachlan, who was kind of the surprise of last week. So what did you make of what Tory Lachlan did in the game against South Dakota? I thought it was very impressive, um, just as a, a, a contributing player, a tough player. First time I noticed him last year was he was like a wedge buster on kickoff. And, you know, like that guy used to play quarterback. He's just going down there <laughs> smashing people's faces in. Um, and he had a, some kind of shoulder injury early in the year, so he kind of didn't get to reach his full potential. Well, I went to, you know, a few four or five camp practices. He was incredible at wide receiver. I mean, he just gets open. He's got a good feel for it. He's got great hands. He's a big, strong guy. And then when you need him to step in and pass pro on a a big down, uh, on that fourth down, he steps right in, takes it in the face, blocks that guy, and we're able to get the completion. So he's just uh, a do-it-all utility player. I still think has not. We've not seen his best days. I think he's a guy that has a chance to be, you know, a guy that this fan base will remember for a long time just because his toughness, his toughness, his selflessness, and his skill. I think he's a talented guy, and I think he'll continue to contribute to that running back room as long as they need him to. And I'm telling you right now, he's as good at wide receiver or better than he is at running back. That's pretty high praise, too, for him because he made some pretty big plays in that game against South Dakota. Okay, I've heard this before, and I can't remember where. I don't know if it was, you know, somebody like David Lawrence told me or if this was just something I picked up on a broadcast and I'm just taking his gospel now. But I've heard before that idea that from week one to week two is when you see the biggest range of improvement. Is that true? I mean, how true is that? I think it'll be very true for this coaching staff, considering the circumstances. Um, you know, you can scrimmage, you know, you can, you know, have live tackling drills in practice, but ultimately you're not going to know everything until you see them, you know, in live action and see, you know, see them when they're dealing with real adversity, seeing them when they're dealing with opponents that are causing, you know, different kinds of issues and players have to make adjustments. I think they know more about their players today than they did the previous week. And it's not just that, it's that they played so many people in that game. You know, they played about seven or eight O-linemen. They played three running backs. They, I mean, they were nearly three deep on the defensive line. 
two deep all throughout the secondary, played about five or six linebackers. So they got to see a ton of people compete at this level, see what they're made of, see what kind of skills they may not have been aware of. I remember asking Coach Leipold postgame, you know, about, you know, Lawrence Arnold was, you know, all the praise in his freshman camp ended up getting injured, and he's basically been limited ever since. And I asked Coach Leipold what, what the expectation was for him, and he didn't even know. You know, it's something he, someone that has been so limited, he hadn't even really seen. And, um, you know, he was even surprised at his contribution. So I think they're going to continue to discover things about this team. They're going to know which buttons to push, which tweaks to make. So I think it'll be a big improvement simply because they've seen them in live action. With the defensive line really showing out in that first game against South Dakota, what did you see in that game that you think can translate over from playing an FCS team into these FBS opponents? All of it. All of it. And I think playing a team like Coastal, Coastal is not a big physical offensive line. It's a quick, nimble offensive line. They're undersized in the interior line, and their outside guys are more athletic, uh, lanky types. So I think they'll, this will not be a physical match. If you were to stand Kansas' D-line next to Coastal's O-line, you'd pick Kansas' D-line every time. So I don't think this will be a physical mismatch. I think the great thing about Kansas is the numbers. <laughs> you know, you got old reliable guys like Malcolm Lee who can play on rundowns and pass downs to be a factor. you got Kyron Johnson and Hatcher bursting off the edge. you got a talent pass rush specialist like Zion DeBose on the outside. You know, Caleb Sampson, Caleb Taylor. This was after Sam Burke got hurt. They still had, you know, five or six guys. Eddie Wilson, Ronald McGee, they are just so deep on that defensive line. And I think what we saw in South Dakota is that if you can play that many people with that little amount of of production drop-off, that's going to be a fresh group, and you're going to need a fresh group against the Coastal Carolina offense that is executes with great speed and has talent all over the place. Yeah, I'm interested to see what that looks like, especially given what the offense runs, where they're running, you know, it's not traditional triple option, but it's basically like a new age version of it with a little more passing in there just with kind of the speed option and and the spread. So I would imagine that's the type of offense that you're going to get cut a lot if you're defensive lineman. And uh, what's the biggest, I guess, uh, way to resolve that if you're KU? Is it just a mentality thing of understanding you're about to get cut and you just kind of have to deal with it all night? I think the tough part with Coastal is that it's not a traditional. So what they've been able to do, which is unique, is they've been able to integrate option and veer concepts into a traditional spread offense. So it's not a situation where I'm getting cut every time over the course of the game. I've got to make adjustments. It's that spread, spread, spread. Now I'm getting chopped. Now i got to take a lead back. Now i got to take the quarterback. So it is like a perfect wrinkle, uh, and they're so good at it. You know, it's like it, it's usually – when you play option football, the timing of it, you know, the continuity of it, the familiarity of it requires so much practice time that you're either doing that all the time or you're not doing it at all. Coastal Carolina has been able to, to balance that, to have those, those option elements integrated into a spread offense, and it's dangerous. So it's something that you can't get comfortable and try to think, I'm going to get cut, I need to prepare every day. No, because they're going to mix it up and do some different things. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. And what their quarterback – you know, operating at the speed he does, it's going to be a, a tough challenge for that defense. Last year, KU lost by 15 in the game, but they kind of made a charge late, and they still made it a two-score game despite being minus three in turnovers. So is there anything you remember from that game a season ago that you take into this one and go, well, they actually played pretty well in this regard, or they actually kept it close in this regard that gives you confidence for tonight's game? 
the physical aspect of the game gives me confidence. And I say that because a lot of times when a team like Kansas is coming, you know, a team that's just not had a ton of success, is playing a ranked team on the road, your first concern is, can we physically match up with this team? And in some cases, the answer is no. You know, so if we were maybe matched up against the Wisconsin or Penn State, some of these big physical teams, you would look at Kansas and say, Oof, they're not quite ready for this type of physical challenge. That will not be the case today. There will not be a Coastal Carolina that's so physically imposing that you're kind of wondering if Kansas will be up to the challenge. It'll actually be the opposite. And I think that's what you saw in the game last year is that Physically, Coastal Carolina is not a mismatch. They don't have any advantages. So I think that's, that is a margin that Kansas has to pound and take advantage of, um, and I think they can. The tough part is, is that Coastal's D-line is not one of those undersized units. It's a strong unit. They've had NFL players all throughout that group, and they'll be strong again this year. So, But you talk about the linebacker level, the DB level. They are not Big 12-sized players. So there is some opportunities to to have some physical advantages, and I think you'll see that kind of rear its head if Kansas can keep it close like they did last year. All right, we're talking with Brandon McAnderson here of the Jayhawk Radio Network. You ready for some game picks this week? Last week, you, uh, I think you went two and three overall. It was all college football. Okay. Yeah, sticking around five hundred. Nothing wrong with that. All right, first up in the college game. Number 12, Oregon, at number 3, Ohio State. The Buckeyes are giving up 14-and-a-half. Ohio State home, uh, I think they'll cover. They just got a ton of talent. I don't know about Oregon. I mean, they had a close game and whatever, but I'm going to go with Ohio State for no apparent reason. Number 5, Texas A&M, minus 17 at Colorado in a former Big 12 matchup. Man. Hmm. Kind of a great traditional uniform matchup. Mm-hmm. And since Colorado's uh, uniforms, the gold helmets give me the edge. So I'm going to go with Colorado being able to keep Texas a from cover. Love that. No number 10. That <laughs> number 10, Iowa. At number 9, Iowa State in the Cyhawk game. Cyclones are giving up four and a half. I like Iowa State. I'm going I'm going all Big 12 on this one. We got the new edition. Trying to celebrate some Big 12 football. So I'm going to go with Iowa State. All right, well, do you count Texas as Big 12? Because number 15, Texas, is minus 7 at Arkansas. Horns down. I'm going with Arkansas. <laughs> All right, last one for college. Number 21, Utah, is minus 7. They're playing at BYU in the Holy War, I believe it's called. I'm going our future Big 12 uh, conference mate, BYU. <laughs> there you go. All right, under the NFL, first week of the NFL regular season, the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing at the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen and his squad are giving up six and a half points. Oh, that's going to be interesting. That seems like a lot for a veteran Steelers team, so I'm going to go with the Steelers. Cardinals are playing at the Titans in a battle of playoff contenders that people aren't taking seriously as Super Bowl contenders. Titans minus three. I'm going to go with the Titans. I like that run game. Seahawks are on the road against Indianapolis. They're favored by three points. I like Seahawks. Browns taking on the Chiefs. Chiefs are giving up five and a half. I think the Chiefs have had enough of the Browns. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Yeah, there's been a lot of chirping from that. Um, yeah, there has. All right, uh, last one. Your Raiders are on Monday Night Football playing at home in Las Vegas. They're getting four points from the Baltimore Ravens, who are just injury-riddled right now. 
I want to go with the Raiders. The Raiders, I mean, I know people forget this because, you know, it, it didn't, season didn't end with a bang. But, the you know, the Raiders beat the Saints on opening night last year on Monday night in Las Vegas. And the Saints were a good team, and, and the Raiders played well in that game. So I, the Raiders usually do play well against good opponents, so I think they can cover. All right, that is Brandon McAnderson joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You can hear him tonight on the call. KU taking on Coastal Carolina. Pre-game starts at 5 o'clock. Kickoff at 6.30 right here on KLWN. BMAC, thank you so much for the time as always. All right, thanks for having me, bro. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk as he does every Friday here on RCST. One hour down, one to go. We're out early at 5 o'clock, as you just heard me say. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. I'm Derek Johnson. Cole C. DeButar on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU coverage starts in 30 minutes from right now here on KLWN. Kickoff at 6.30. You can hear the high school games over on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com. Specifically for Bull929.com, you'll be able to hear the Lawrence High game. Specifically on 92.9 FM. You'll be able to hear the Free State game, and you can watch both games with the radio feed paired in. Just go to klwn.com, click the little uh, high school rotator there at the front, and you'll see the links to the two games with A-10 Varsity. So Matt Llewellyn and Hank Booth will be on the call for Lawrence High, and Kevin Romery will be making his return with high school football. So excited for that with Craig Hershiser on the Free State game. Okay, so the Big 12 officially announced today. And there were press conferences from BYU, Cincinnati, all the different teams adding in. They're officially adding the schools. At this point, it was just kind of the the bow on top of the gift that's all been wrapped up. Um, but here's the statement from the Big 12. The Big 12 Conference today announces that Brigham Young University, the University of Central Florida, the University of Cincinnati, and the University of Houston will become members no later than the 2024 to 2025 athletic year. This marks the second time in the conference's 26-year history that new members were added. Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, Oklahoma State, and Texas have been members since the Big 12 began in 1996, with TCU and West Virginia joining in 2011. And then it's just a bunch of other, you know, we're so excited to have these schools join on. I do think it's interesting that they mentioned in here no later than the 2024 to 2025 athletic year. And no later means that would be the first season that they would take place. Now, I mentioned this yesterday. The timing of how this all works, the American Athletic Conference requires a 27-month minimum notification, basically, before leaving the league in addition to a $10 million buyout fee. So if you place 27 months from today, you end up in December, basically, of 2023 which would mean that you're not going to join in the middle of the year. So you wait till the end of the 2023-24 season, and then you wind up in the new conference by 2024 to 2025. That would also be the last year that the Big 12 is under their current media rights deal with ESPN. So you would get in there before the media rights. The story that Andy Staples wrote in The Athletic a couple days ago referenced that the Big 12 would like these schools to be added in 2023. And I think it's important to note that what is written here does not discount that. It basically leaves it open, and it doesn't give a firm date. Again, 
no later than the 2024 to 25 athletic year. They're not saying they will join for the 2024 25 athletic year. That is just the latest they would join for the last year of that ESPN contract. The reason they left it open ended is because, alluding to that Andy Staples story, they would want them to join in 2023 for the 2023 2024 season and the 24 25 season. Reason why you want them in the league as long as possible before you get to having to reset your media rights. And by leaving it open-ended, you didn't say, hey, we want them to join in 2023, and then now the AAC can say, no, look, you're conspiring to have them join before what's written in our contracts about the 27 months and the $10 million says, so we're going to make you pay an even bigger buyout for doing that. Instead, this is the Big 12 basically saying, hey, we're going to try to negotiate that. We're going to use our lawyers to talk to your lawyers we're going to negotiate this down, and we're going to try to get them out so they can join in 2023 as opposed to the 27 months that would go to December of 2023. What do we need to pay you to get them out of the conference six months before then? And maybe instead of a $10 million buyout, it's a $15 million buyout for the schools or a $20 million buyout. The only question from there is, are the schools on their own in paying that? Or would the Big 12 say, hey, we're going to help you here? You know, if Texas and Oklahoma leave the league and they have to pay a bunch of money, do you use some of that money to bring on these schools? And beyond that, one of the things by adding these new schools, the Big 12 gave away their pro rata clause with ESPN to where every school they add would add that incremental amount of money. They gave that away. They sold it off to bring in some extra money in the short term. So do you tell these schools, hey, as part of joining, you get a smaller slice of the pie than the others, at least until we re-up our media deal. So for these next two years, you know, instead of, okay, let's say there's $200 million at stake over eight schools. So now at that point, each school would be getting $25 million. But then you add in four schools, so it's still $200 million, but it's divided by 12 now instead of eight. And that works out to be around $16 million. So do you just say instead of having all our slices of pie, divvied up to a smaller degree. Hey, for these first two years, you guys are only going to get $12 million in the league, but that's still double of what you're making in the AAC. And we're still going to get our, you know, closer to what we were making before. I don't know how that's all going to work, but I think that was really good to point out the fact of the dates in this whole thing. Now, the other news, because it feels like we know this is coming with UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, um, all coming into the league in Houston. This is new today, and this is something I talked about a little bit yesterday. Dennis Dodd reported something that Kirby Hocutt said, the athletic director at Texas Tech, that there might be a second round of Big 12 expansion. And I don't know if that would be in regard to them maybe hearing rumors that maybe like a West Virginia could go to the ACC or a Kansas could go to the Big 10. Who knows if, if any of that would be true or whatnot, and this is just them saying, hey, we got to plan a second round of expansion in case we lose anybody. Or if it's just, no, we want a second round of expansion to strengthen and fortify as much as possible. But we don't want to do it till our media right deal is done. So we're going to add teams right now to help in the near term but we're to get us up to 12. But we're not going to do our second round till 2025. When the ESPN deal is done, we don't have to worry about splitting those slices of pie even smaller and that can be part of the media rights agreements that, hey, we're going to add these schools and you're going to give us more money because of that. And the schools, Dennis Dodd today, said Boise State, 
Memphis are among schools being discussed as future conference additions. Thoughts on that? Memphis versus KU every year it would be awesome. I really like Memphis as a school. Boise State, do they still have that ugly, ugly field? <laughs> yes, they do. There's always a rumor. I don't think this is actually true, but there's always this rumor that goes around with it that like a certain amount of like birds die every year because they think it's water and they see the blue and they like a certain amount of people die every year <laughs> seeing that on television. That's what happens, Derek. Well, I am not a fan of the blue turf either, but. I mean, Boise State, from just a football perspective, they would bring a good amount yes. to the conference. Yeah, I, I love Boise State as a, as a football mm-hmm. team. And, and Basketball's been okay. So, you know, it's not listen, like a bad man, program. Listen, you, man, you, you spent the whole first part of the segment talking about logistics, mm-hmm. uh, the logistics of years and money. Logistics, shamistics, sh- like it doesn't <laughs> matter. The, the the conference is alive. You know, mm-hmm. play our Frankenstein soundbite. Like I don't <laughs> – it's, it's wonderful. We were mm-hmm. talking a month ago about how – Oh, well, I guess, you know, KU's going to have to play Ohio State in football. This doesn't look too good. Like, we were talking like that, and now it's completely turned on its head. Uh, this is possibly uh, a conference that's going to be more significant athletically mm-hmm. than the Big Ten. You know, uh, still uh, a step below the SEC, but with the addition of these four schools, it's a completely different ball game than it was just a month ago. Yeah, I mean, from a basketball perspective, I would actually argue the conference, conference is better now than it was in the past. I mean, listen, if Chris Beard comes into Texas and turns him into a top five, seven program in the country, <laughs> sure. then yes, maybe it's more of a wash at that point. But think about it. Like, Oklahoma is a team who's consistently in the NCAA tournament. They had the Buddy Heald year where they made the Final Four. Outside of that, they're typically like a team who makes the second round. Is that not what, like, BYU has done? Or Houston made a Final Four this year. Typically, outside of that, they're a team who makes the second round of the Sweet 16. And right? historically, Houston's cool as, cool as heck. Yeah. Right? And then, you, you have you have a right. Fi Slamma Jamma and all that Oh, uh, yeah. You have the history with Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah, Hakeem Olajuwon, Big 12 legend is what everybody's saying. <laughs> um, but BYU has been better than Texas has in basketball over the last handful of years. And then Cincinnati was... Making the NCAA tournament every year under Mick Cronin for a 10-year span. They got a two-seed one of the years. Even under Bob Huggins when he was there at Cincinnati. They're going, you know, with Kenyon Martin. They're they're going to giant heights where they're going 32-2. and two. Like, that's been a good basketball program. Um, UCF, a couple years ago, they almost beat Duke with Zion in the second round of the tournament. UCF is the one that I look at the least. with. Fo- I think UCF could be the one that, like, them and TC like when TCU first joined the league, it was like, oh, TCU is way out of their depths in basketball. I could see that happening to UCF, but they bring in football. But just in terms of the basketball, it'll be different because part of the selling for why the Big 12 is the best conference is also that it's the toughest road to a conference title because, you know, in the Big 10 or the Pac-12, you have so many teams that you don't play everybody twice. You don't play everybody home and home, so you can get fortunate one year on a schedule where hey, we only play this team once, and we happened to get them at home, and that was a good team. Whereas we played the really bad team, we got to play them for our two games. And that'll happen now. They have more teams, whereas having the the 2v2. But there's more depth in the Big 12 basketball-wise. Now, football-wise, there's probably more depth as well. Those are all good football schools as well. The biggest difference is going to be, can somebody emerge into being that, you know, it doesn't have to be every year. But can you have at least one team that is a legit national title threat every We're year? We're never in a four-team playoff. We are never, ever getting into the playoffs. This was true. They need expansion. This was true 
a couple years ago. I mean, Oklahoma sort of like broke the mold a couple times, but it really felt like anytime Oklahoma got in, it it, it was just to get embarrassed to well, a certain extent. The question we I need have- a bigger college football playoffs. Because four teams is not enough. Then you end up in situations like UCF mm-hmm. in 2017 where they deserved a spot in the college football playoffs, and they didn't get it, which was a travesty then. It's a travesty now. But the Big 12 is too has too much parity to get someone who's going to go, you know, 11-0 or whatever and actually uh, get that guaranteed playoff spot. We would need an 8 or maybe six, but but really eight uh, team college football playoffs to get a Big Twelve team in every year. Well, where where I think it could be different, like Nebraska dominated when it was the Big Eight. We've seen schools specific to that conference. Miami dominated it when it was the Big East. You know, it just kind of depended. Like, would it be that crazy now that Oklahoma's gone? If Oklahoma State all of a sudden became like a power in this specific conference and was going 11-1 and one every year. I don't think it would be that crazy. Same with TCU. So, and if that happens, then you do get in that discussion. But sure. I think you're right. More often, you're going to need the expanded playoff, but the good news is it sounds like that's on its way. I think that the state of college sports is really, really excellent right now. And the expanded uh, playoff hopefully coming has me very excited the Big 12 expansion and, you know, not collapsing is a big deal to me. It's a big deal for football. It's a big deal for basketball. The middle of the country, you know, flyover country, if you will, is underrepresented in a lot of ways, you know, and it would have felt really bad to me if the middle of the country conference got exploded and just scattered (laughs) to the edges, right? You know, the Gulf Coast area that the SEC dominates and the West Coast with the Pac-12, that would have felt really bad for me because, you know, it wouldn't have felt like our conference anymore. You know, obviously KU and the Big 10 would have been fine, but I wouldn't have felt great about it, to be honest with you. I still think if that is on the table, which I kind of feel like it's not, but if that is on the table, I still think that's the best option. I mean, you'd still be making pretty much – Whatever this conference is going to be making when it re-ups in 2025, probably double of what that would. So, I, I don't know. I still think Big Ten or ACC would be the best route, but this has turned into a nice little, I don't want to say fallback option, because it's not quite that. Like it, It's just a good option, otherwise, that has turned into that. Now, quick power ranking of the new schools you added, the four new schools, um, of what you most want to visit for KU Road Game. Go. Uh, Houston, number one. Mm. Uh, number two. Disagreement. All right. Uh, number two is Cincinnati. Okay. Number three is uh, UCF or BYU. Yeah. Number three is Florida, and then number four is BYU. I can't drink in Provo, man. <laughs> I think I, I agree. I, BYU is four. I saw somebody say. I think this was Jeff Hawk on Twitter who said, "Uh, what does this mean for the Big 12 tournament? Are we not going to be able to, you know, buy beers at the Big 12 tournament anymore because BYU is in the conference? I don't know how that works, but that is ironic because BYU was in the West Coast Conference, which they had their tournament at Las Vegas every year. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. You're not allowed to go to the tables as a BYU player, yeah, I don't think. That's for sure. Could you imagine? Guy gets kicked off the team in the championship game because he was, like, playing blackjack. <laughs> you broke your honor code by playing video <laughs> poker <Yeah>. all night. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I would go one UCF. Just because, I mean, you have Disney World right there, and you're in Florida, you're on the beaches. Now, Houston is you know, Houston's a great city, world, though, man. Post-COVID world. I'm going UCF 1, 
Cincinnati two, Houston three. I'm not a big fan Cincinnati of Cincinnati over BYU Houston. Four. What are you yeah. doing in Cincinnati, dude? I've never been to Cincinnati. Let's go check it out. Maybe uh, I'll go visit Canton. Not Ohio. being to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. not going to Cincinnati is the same exact thing as being in Cincinnati. Matt man. would like to weigh in. We're power ranking the four new schools where you'd most likely to visit. Don't eat the chili. Everybody <laughs> talks about you gotta have Cincinnati chili. Big war between Skyline and what's the other one? There's another one that you gotta have. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, cool. When I first went to Cincinnati, it's like, because I wanted to know the best restaurant, you know, restaurants mm-hmm. to go. And this guy was from Cincinnati. He goes, oh, you got to have the chili. But don't go to one. Don't. I, I don't remember which one he told me, but one was Skyline. One's the other one. And I was like, they both sucked. They're chili. <laughs> and they're bad chili. And it's fast food. I want a restaurant. I want something, a good restaurant. Something they're There's known for. There's a lot for, of good or, restaurants or in Houston. All right, all right. I'll bump Houston to two. But yes. UCF's still number Woo! one for me. Yeah, I, I think baby. we can all agree BYU was last. <laughs> H-Town. <laughs> Uh, it depends. Well, but no, I have no, I I'm not a mountain guy, so I don't okay. need to go to. Yeah, I guess BYU. that's true. You can go up in January and go skiing in in the mountains. That's pretty cool as well. All right, that's Matt Llewellyn. He's going to get off to the Lawrence High call, which you'll be able to hear tonight over on our sister station, nine two nine The Bullet Bull nine two nine dot com, or you can find the video link at klwn dot com. Same with Free State. He's Colsey Debutar. I'm Derek Johnson on seven and thirteen twenty KLWN. Depend on it.